I'm feeling very emotional this morning. Thank you, Graham, for leading us into the Lord's presence in these wonderful songs of worship. And that last one, that's what brought back memories to me of a time when Satan was trying his best to destroy me. And I mean destroy me. Destroy my marriage, destroy my ministry. And I can remember days when I'd walk along Pater Road West singing that song defying the evil one declaring the Lord is my deliverer and yes the Lord came through and Satan was defeated hallelujah <laughs> you know I couldn't help thinking this morning as just we sang these songs what does the Father our Heavenly Father think when he sees us doing what we're doing this morning there's so much in the world that grieves the heart of God and makes him incredibly sad. But he's looking at us this morning as he's looking at companies of believers all over the world. And you can imagine them saying to our Lord Jesus, Look, 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 look at them, look at them, listen to them, look at them. They're singing songs about us. They're reading the word of God we gave them. They're gathering in your name, Jesus. They're depending on your Holy Spirit. You see, we're actually pleasing God when we do these things and it's wonderful when we do them together in such happy fellowship so thank you from the bottom of my heart for making me feel so much at home here and for the very generous love gifts you've given me over these many months let's pray Father we thank you for your word we know it's truth and we know that it's your guidebook for us your instructions from the maker and we confess we do not spend as much time in it as we ought to do and we ask that you will increase our appetite for the word of God we ask that by your Holy Spirit you will speak to us this morning as we gather around the word of God as we listen to hear what you want to say to us Lord we thank you for the many different things you say to us in the same message and we thank you Lord that your Holy Spirit is here to help us realize what you want us to become and to do for your glory. So Holy Spirit we welcome you to help me as I speak and to help all of us as we consider what our God is saying to us in Jesus name. The last Sunday morning we were looking at part of the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. We know Paul better in relation to his visit to Philippi because in Philippi he and his friend Silas managed to kickstart an earthquake. How do you kickstart an earthquake in a spiritual way? Well you sing praise to God at midnight when you don't feel like doing it. And you know the story very well most of you that the prison was smashed open because the earthquake shook it open and the outcome was that the jailer and all his family became Christians. But Paul and Silas wisely moved on after causing no end of a disturbance in Philippi. And they moved to Thessalonica. And there they did what they always did when they were travelling. They would look for the Jewish synagogue. That they might go in there and Paul might teach what God wanted the people to know from his word. Taking you this morning to the last chapter of First Thessalonians, we noticed last week in looking at the first chapter that Paul 
used a kind of strange language, unusual language, to describe the conversion of this particular group of Christians. Because he says in chapter 1, they, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. The idea of turning from idols, turning to God from idols is pretty sharp contrast and also turning to serve the living God, not just to be saved from my sin, but to serve the living God throughout my life on planet earth. And not just that either, but to wait for his son from heaven. We mentioned last Sunday that obviously in his preaching of the gospel to non-Christians, Paul didn't just give a nice wee gospel message of about 15 minutes. No. He obviously gave them a good, meaty gospel message. And he taught them things that you wouldn't normally hear an evangelist teaching in a gospel message today. He taught them, for example, about the second coming. He told them the Lord was coming back to earth. And they better keep that in mind. And as time went on, these Thessalonians thought, what's happened to our loved ones? Because some of them have already died since they became Christians. What's happened to them? Because Paul told us something would happen to them when Jesus comes back and they've missed it. Well, that's one reason why Paul wrote this letter to these Thessalonian Christians. To answer questions, to address difficulties. And of course we have much of our New Testament because things were not always the way they should have been in the early church. And Paul had to write and correct things that were wrong. And we have the benefit of all that 2,000 years later. So, let's read from the beginning of chapter 5 in First Thessalonians. Now brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Let me give you some thoughts from these verses under three headings. First of all, the statement that Paul makes saying clearly and plainly, the day of the Lord will come. There's a day on God's calendar that even Jesus said he didn't know the date of. Only his father knew the day when he would come for a second time to planet Earth. 
If we go back into the Old Testament, we find the prophecy of Joel, where we have the prophecy of the Holy Spirit coming in power as he did on the day of Pentecost. And by the way, don't forget that next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, when we can remember with great joy the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. Going back to Joel chapter 2, the words are familiar to most of us where Joel writes under the prompting of the Holy Spirit and afterwards the Lord says I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy and it all happened on the day of Pentecost about 2,000 years ago but interestingly the very first verse in that second chapter of Joel says this Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming the day of the Lord was seen as a day when God would come in a particular way and there would be an element of judgment in it and it was a day to be taken very seriously. Now there have been, down through the years, particular times when God has come into a particular situation or a particular nation even in powerful ways and accompanied sometimes by judgment. But these are all many things compared with the maxi one that is up front. And if you want to look at other scriptures in that connection, well there's Amos chapter 5 verse 18 and there's Zechariah chapter 14 verses 1 to 4 where we specifically read about the Lord Jesus touching down on the Mount of Olives in a future day. What does Paul tell us will occur when the day of the Lord eventually comes. Well he says there will be deception. There will be deception. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly. Oh, well you see Jesus himself taught this very same truth. If we go back to Luke for example, Luke chapter 12 uh, and find there what Jesus had to say about that time when he would eventually come again. Luke chapter 12 and reading at verse 39. <coughs> Can I move that away? It's kind of distracting me. That's it. Um, verse 39 of Luke chapter 12. Because there our Lord Jesus says, Understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Interesting that other people have taken up this word ready. Rangers Football Club, for example. Ready. Boy Scout Movement. Ready. Yeah? Rather an important word, ready. There are certain things up front that we'd better be prepared for, and this is one of them. We must be ready at any time for the Lord Jesus to come back when we're not expecting him. If we go over to chapter 17 of Luke, we found find again our Lord Jesus saying similar things. Uh, chapter 17, at verse 24 or thereabouts, he says... Uh, the Son of Man in his day will be like a lightning for flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. For as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. 
It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day the Lot left, sudden fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is coming. There will be deception. In other words, many people will not at all expect what's about to happen. I remember once in the days when I worked in the land and I remember this other guy who was working along with me at the end of one particular day he said, oh well Sandy, he said, that's it all over for another day aye, it'll just be the same a hundred years from now maybe not, maybe not the Lord Jesus is coming back to this planet and many people who maybe hear Christians talking about this will say, oh that's rubbish uh, and they'll be saying everything's okay we may have a bit of an upset here and there but by and large we're going to enjoy peace and safety and by the way let me remind you that there are people beavering away in offices particularly in America to try and set the scene for one world government because they want to live in peace one world government aided and abetted by one world church perish the thought Yes, people are aiming to achieve that in this lifetime. One world government. Because they want to enjoy a greater measure of peace throughout the earth. So people will still be preaching a kind of false peace that they can hope for. when all of a sudden it's shattered by the arrival of King Jesus. There will be deception. And of course Satan is a master of deception. And often seeks to spoil our lives, those of us who are Christians, by deceiving us into believing things that are not true. And of course, he not surprisingly attacks the church, attacks the preaching of the word in the church. And many people who are standing preaching the congregations this morning don't believe the whole Bible, they believe bits of it, they pick and choose, and they're deceived into thinking that the Bible is not truly the word of God. Well, who would want to go and hear them preach? I wouldn't. There will be deception. And when the day actually occurs, there will be destruction. Paul tells us that clearly and simply. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, where people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, and they will not escape. Now if we move for a moment into 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we find Paul still writing on this same theme in his second letter to that church. He says this, verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. These are solemn words, are they not? They're solemn words. And you know, we can experience a measure, a measure of destruction. Lesser destruction can occur even in this present time if we treat God the wrong way. For example, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit will reap eternal life. 
There's the choice. It's stark. Destruction or eternal life. The day of the Lord will come at a time when there's massive deception throughout the earth. And it will be for many a day of destruction. Of course, in the very second part, the last part of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul has written wonderful words about the return of the Lord Jesus in a positive way for the believers. The three headings that I use when I preach from that passage are the return of the Lord, guaranteed, more certain than tomorrow's dawn, the resurrection of the dead, and the reunion of the saved if we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are totally safe. Save now, save then. But the unbelievers, oh dear, oh dear. Deception followed by destruction. If we move then to verse 9, we see the desire of the Lord is clear. The desire of the Lord is clear. He says, God did not appoint us, he's writing to Christians, remember, he did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is something God wants us to avoid, and that something we touched on last Sunday morning, that is the wrath of God. It's a word that we don't like, it's a word that should frighten us, especially if we're not believers, but it's there in Scripture again and again. We saw it, for example, last week in Romans chapter 1, where we saw the contrast, the extraordinary contrast, between two verses in the same chapter. In chapter 1, verse 17, Paul writes, In the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. The gospel offers us righteousness, perfect righteousness, perfect goodness. How come? Well, Jesus suffered in our place, died on the cross for our sins. He took our sins, we can get his righteousness. What an enormous, glorious exchange that is. Who would be foolish enough to refuse such an offer? Take my sins away, Lord. You died for them on the cross. And give me, Lord your righteousness. That's the essence of the Christian message. We can become righteous instead of being sinful, sinful and affected in every area of our life thereby. The strange and extraordinary thing is that in the very next verse of Romans chapter 1, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed, present tense, from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You see, those who want to be wicked, and the world is full of people who want to live a wicked life, to please themselves, to get all they can, no matter how they achieve it, destroy anybody else, it doesn't matter, as long as I get what I want. Wickedness. And the Bible challenges that. From the minute they start reading this book, they get upset and disturbed. So they want to suppress the truth. Unbelievers in some situations hate the truth. There are many people out there who would love to burn all the Bible so they got their hands on them because the truth disturbs them and that's what it's meant to do to make us aware of our need to be saved from our sins in 
First Thessalonians chapter 1, as we saw last week. In speaking about the, the conversion of these Thessalonians, Paul says he had heard that people were saying, You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Wrath is a word which means holy anger. A very serious word indeed. Interestingly, not surprisingly perhaps, if we go to one of the best known chapters in the New Testament, where we find in John chapter 3, the word of Jesus saying that God so loved the world he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know how that chapter ends? That chapter ends with these words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath, his righteous, holy anger remains on that person. You know, this really ought to sharpen up our praying for our non-Christian friends, our family members who don't know our Jesus. They're not just missing something trivial. They're missing the most important thing in the world. They're missing salvation from sin and eternal life in Jesus Christ. God help us to pray more fervently for the lost, for those who need to come to know Jesus. Do you sometimes get a kind of surge of spiritual appetite? Happened to me this morning in the kitchen. As I stood in my kitchen this morning, I cried out to the Lord for more, 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 more of the work of His Spirit throughout the world, reviving the church and reaching the lost. Oh, it's happening, I know it's happening on a small scale and some would say on a grand scale, but there's need for so much more. There are still so many unbelievers out there. And you know what a thought came into my mind this morning? How long have we got to wait? for this hall to be too small for the people who want to come on a Sunday morning. Ah, oh yes. The desire of the Lord is clear. He wants us to avoid this awful outcome of facing a God of justice at the end of the day who has serious anger towards those who reject his precious Son. The desire of the Lord is clear. There's something he wants us to avoid and there's someone he wants us to accept. And of course that is our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, way back right through in the Old Testament, we can see how people reacted when they experienced the blessing of God in some significant way. The Jewish people had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They had started off alright, but they ended up as slaves, being brutally treated by the Pharaoh of the day who ordered the death of all their baby boys and their life was really in a very bad place but then God intervened he came in power and he, as you know brought them out by drying up the Red Sea so they could go over on dry land and when the enemy tried to follow them the sea came back and the Egyptians were drowned now how would you react if that had happened to you? you probably would react in the same way these guys did because we're told in the next chapter 
Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. It's rather sad that some Christians manage to go through life seemingly without ever getting overexcited about Jesus. Oh, dear, dear, dear. What kind of Jesus do they know? <laughs> we know the real Jesus. Surely we experience a, a joy that wells up, over, overflows from time to time in worship like we had this morning and expressions of praise and gratitude to our wonderful Saviour. Well, we looked at Moses' time. Let's look at David's time. Psalm 62. What does David say? David begins that psalm by saying, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Am I right in thinking that one of the Negro spirituals used to say, We shall not be moved. We shall not be moved. David said it long ago before they did. In a different form. I shall not be shaken. We're living in a time when God is shaking a nation to no end. The most extraordinary things happening throughout the world just now. Most extraordinary. God says he's going to do this. Hebrews chapter 12. He says he's going to do it. So that people will see the difference between what can be shaken and what cannot be shaken. God's throne cannot be shaken. And ultimately his church cannot be shaken either. We're part of an indestructible people. We have been blessed with eternal life. Oh, how wonderful is that. How did God begin the whole process? Well, you know the story very well, but let me remind you of it anyway. You see, the world today is full of terrorists. And when we hear that word terrorists, we shrink almost in fear, thinking they might get too close to us because they are evil people who destroy life as if it was just absolutely worthless. They go here and there and cause terrible, terrible havoc and destruction. Terrorists. So how does God react to a world which has a whole bunch of terrorists being employed by Satan to do his will? He sends a counter-terrorist. The answer to an evil terrorist is a good terrorist. Now when you look at a little baby, <laughs> little Lachlan you don't think of him as a terrorist and if somebody had walked into that stable in Bethlehem and seen little baby Jesus in the manger they would never have dreamt he would become a terrorist but he did he terrorized the kingdom of darkness and destroyed it effectively began with a child in a manger there he was sleeping peacefully we hope in a manger in Bethlehem and the shepherds were looking after their sheep out in the fields. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Saviour has been born to you. It is Christ the Lord. And in that same chapter, we read that when Mary and Joseph brought the baby into the temple to have the necessary ritual performed, this old man Simeon, who lived very close to God, so close to God, that the Holy Spirit had told him he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he is led by the Spirit to enter the temple at the same time as Joseph and Mary entered the temple. And he saw baby Jesus. 
and he took baby Jesus in his arms he looked into this small child's eyes and he said sovereign Lord as you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people the child who was born to die and he died for you and for me and that's why we can sing praises to God this morning and rejoice in a living Lord a glorious saviour and a wonderful salvation day of the Lord is coming perhaps you and I'll see it perhaps we won't the day of the Lord is coming when Jesus will return to planet earth the desire of the Lord is clear he wants us to avoid destruction eternal destruction he wants us to embrace the Lord Jesus and enjoy eternal life and in the midst of all this the death of the Lord is central the death of the Lord is central you see there in verse 10 Paul writes to these people and says concerning Jesus he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep that means dead or alive alive or dead and the language in the last part of 1 Thessalonians 4 uses the same terminology the New Testament speaks of death for the Christian not as death but as falling asleep the word cemetery literally means a sleeping place that's why it's called a cemetery because of the Christian background the death of the Lord is central let me remind you what he's doing what he has done what he will do first of all he gathers us to himself it's no use knowing about Jesus if we leave him out there and we stay over here that doesn't do us any good whatsoever we have to come to him we have to surrender to him we have to accept his rightful lordship in our lives in order to experience his great salvation he gathers us to himself I'm sure I must have shared this verse with you before because I love it so much in John chapter 12 near the end of his life our Lord Jesus uttered these words he said now is the time for judgment on this world now the prince of this world will be driven out you see this is the language of the holy terrorist I'm dealing with Satan he's saying the prince of this world is going to be driven out he's going to lose his power over planet earth but I said Jesus when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all men to myself and John tells us he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die I love this it speaks of Satan being driven out and it speaks of Jesus drawing into himself people like us who need to be saved from our sin if we go back to Matthew 23 for a moment I'll find there verse 37 what do we find there we find Jesus pouring his heart out Luke records this same kind of situation our Lord Jesus seeing what lies ahead says this O Jerusalem Jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing if you grew up in the country as I did and went around farms as I did you would be familiar with the sight of a mother hen and her chickens and the chickens are happily playing around not too far away from mother hen but far enough away to be at risk 
And mother hen detects some danger approaching and immediately she starts issuing a special kind of clucking noise. And quick as lightning, these little craters, these little beasties, these little chickens, they scurry to the mother and they curry in under her wings. They disappear from sight. Her wings are big enough to cover them and conceal them and they're safe. And that's what Jesus, he said, that's the language he used. He looks at people. Are you here this morning without knowing Jesus? I don't know whether you're a believer or not. Well, here is Jesus calling you, saying, listen, you're like one of these chickens. You're at risk. There's danger out there. If you don't come to me, you'll be lost. You won't have new life. You won't have eternal life. You'll suffer destruction at the end of the day. Oh, dear. Jesus poured his heart out and pictures the little chickens running to mother hen and says, that's what I want to do with you. What a lovely way of looking at it, describing it. <coughs> to be safe, safe in Jesus Christ. And of course, he gives the invitation very simply. Come to me, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. You're sick of life as the way it is. You realize there's something in your life that's poisoning your life. It's called sin. You want me to deal with it? I'm the only person who can. Come to me, come to me. And I will give you rest. He gathers us to himself. Ah, but there's more than that. He gives us to one another. He gives us to one another. Yes, did we not all experience that when we became Christians? We come to Jesus. He saves us. He gives us his new life. And we can imagine him taking us by the hand and saying, Come, come with me. I want to introduce you to some of your brothers and sisters. And we find other Christians. He leads us to other Christians. Ah, especially if you're like me and have no brothers and sisters in the, in the natural, in the flesh. And to find you have people who are your brothers and sisters and you people here have welcomed me because you've welcomed me as a brother in Christ, which I am. He gathers us to himself and he gives us to one another. Ah, and this is important. He tells us how to treat one another. Oh, yes. And we don't always succeed in doing it, unfortunately. But let's look at one or two things that he says. He says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, verse 5, In Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Difficult to picture this on worldwide, worldwide, on a worldwide scale, though it's true there. But picture it on a local scale. This little fellowship here, for example. We belong to one another. Yeah? You and I, who are both believers in the family of God, I belong to you and you belong to me. That's one way in which the Bible describes our relationship. And of course, Jesus takes it a stage further in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Any old how? No, sir. Not any old how. That you love one another as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? He loved us and gave himself for us. He gave himself in sacrifice for us. And he tells us, listen, this is how you people are to love one another. You are to sacrifice if need be. You are to suffer if need be. To bless your fellow Christians in situations of need and so on. And he added the little P.S. He said, by this, everybody will know that you're my disciples. 
You see, Jesus has given the unbelievers out there one test to apply as to whether or not we're the real Mackay, the genuine article. Do we love each other? Is it evident? Is it obvious that we love one another? If the world looks on and sees the church not loving one another, they have a right to point the finger and say, here, you're phony. You're phony, at least partly phony anyway. You're being phony right now if you don't love your brother and sister in Christ. Oh, oh my, oh my. Yes. And this whole business of encouraging each other is so important. You know, I had been a Christian and a pastor indeed for years before I really grasped how incredibly powerful words are. Words can bless people, and of course this is what blessing and cursing are all about, the use of words. With words we bless people, with words we curse people. If we bless them, if we speak words that bless them, we encourage them and we lift them up and build them up. If we speak the opposite, if we speak words that curse people, then we put them down, we crush them. And the story of the church is a very sad one, because many people who have come to a true faith in Jesus Christ, something's happened to them in the church that has so hurt them and so crushed them that they've gone away and have never come back. That happens. It happens all the time, unfortunately. But it shouldn't ever happen at all. And here, in the end of chapter 4, where Paul has been addressing the question of dying and being raised again at the end of the day when Jesus comes back. And he says specifically at the end of that passage, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. He's just said after that, after the resurrection, We who are still alive and are left on the earth will be caught up with those who have been raised from the dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's what's up front for us Christians. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Oh, I'm looking forward to meeting some of my family members whom I've loved and lost. They're in heaven now. And he adds this little word, therefore encourage each other with these words. Remind each other that this is what's ahead. This is part of the provision of God, the blessing of God. This is part of what's being saved. And of course, he at the end of the passage we read therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing let me close with one more verse from Romans 15 where Paul writes to these Christians in Rome and he says accept one another as Christ accepted you Romans 15 verses 5 to 7 accept one another receive one another Welcome one another, as Christ accepted you. Now just stop for a minute. How did Christ accepted you? How did Christ accept me? The answer is worse and all. He didn't say, go and clean up your act, go and sort out your life, then I'll accept you. Quite the opposite. He said, listen, you can't clean up your life, you're not able to do it. I'll do it for you. He accepted us as we were. And some of us were not very nice. He accepted us as we were. And Paul says, do this to bring praise to God. You see, when we fall out with fellow Christians, 
when there's strife in the fellowship and harmony is lost we don't feel like praising God it's difficult to praise God if somebody's been telling lies about you and hurting you and oh dear oh dear oh dear so it's important that we accept one another and love one another and recognize that we belong to one another and then we want to praise God together yes we can praise God alone and we ought to praise God alone but it's even more special to praise him in the company of fellow believers who share the same wonderful saviour the day of the Lord will come the desire of the Lord is clear the death of the Lord is central let's pray Father we thank you this morning for reminding us of some of the most important things in the world our eternal salvation forgive us if even after knowing you for years we have almost become so accustomed to being Christians we've forgotten just how special it is remind us Lord how special it is to be saved from our sin to know you as we know you as believers who belong to Jesus Father we pray that you will increase our love for one another within the body of Christ that you will help us to go out of our way if necessary to encourage and build up each other we pray too that you will give us a greater burden to pray for those who have not yet been saved from their sins we thank you that you work in answer to prayer and so we ask that you will just even from this day onward help us to take our prayer life more seriously to give more time to it to be willing to do without doing other things for time to wait on you we ask this in Jesus name Amen